We're in the book of James. James is so practical and so specific. And I pray today that as we read this text and we prepare to come to the table, that the Lord, even as Brent prayed, will open the lid on things in our life that are hidden, especially as it relates to favoritism and partiality. Beginning in James 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, we ask that you would bring peace upon this place, that you would quiet our souls, that we would really hear your word and your spirit working. We pray, Father, that you would prepare our hearts to come to this table to be reminded once again of who we are in you, what you've done to save us. Bless the preached word now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I looked up at the middle school and high school students who joined today, and as I addressed them in the chapel just a little while ago, I thought about lunchroom tables. Do you remember that world? Do you remember the pain, especially if you moved to a new school, of what it was like that first day or week or month or semester of trying to find people to sit with? Do you remember the tension of seeing people sitting alone and knowing as a Christian maybe you should do something about it? When I did Young Life in St. Louis, I went to a high school named Marquette. Our church and our work with Young Life probably had 200 students at that one high school. So what, weekly, I would go into that school and I would go and have lunch with students. We'd talk and have a great time. And I remember one day seeing a student sitting by himself. And my heart tugged for that child, but I didn't do anything. Next week, I went back to the child still sitting by himself. Next week, same thing. So I began to ask some of the students that I was discipling, why does he sit by himself? And one of them named David said, have you ever talked to him? I said, hmm. well, you, you would know why. So I thought, next week I will. And I went, and I sat down next to the young boy. He was a freshman. I said, hi, my name is Mark. What's your name? He looked at me and didn't say a word. Not a word. I said, can you tell me your name? Not a word. I said, well, I said, my name is Mark. I do Young Life here. I'd love to get to know you. What's your name? Finally, he spoke. 
I could tell you, but I would have to kill you. I suddenly thought maybe David knew what he was talking about. I prayed, Lord, what, how do I respond? And I'm not sure this is what the Lord wanted me to say, but this is what I said. You can't kill me. I'm not human. <laughs> and I got up and I left. I didn't know what to do, but I knew with that many Christians in that school, no child should be sitting alone. Why? Because he was awkward, strange, uncomfortable. Why? Because it would cost you social status if you reached out and invited him. Why? And I began to challenge the guys in my Bible study to do something about that, certainly to pray for this boy. I began to see him every week, and I would sit down. And he eventually began to talk. Our kids eventually began to talk to him and to invite him in. And as they did, he got less and less strange. I'm not really here to talk about lunchrooms, but I'm here to talk about how the church often feels like a lunchroom. When we fail to open our eyes to see those who are around us, we fail to realize in our lives often there is favoritism, favoritism that perhaps we don't even know exists. It's been a long time since I went church shopping. And what I mean by that is you go and you look for a church. Last time I did it was in 1994 when my wife and I moved to St. Louis so I could go to seminary. We looked forward to that. We had been in one church for a number of years. We thought this will be fun to explore the different churches. So we had a list, the list of churches people told us to go to. The one that was most spoken about, one that's well known in our denomination and certainly in St. Louis, was the one I went to first. My wife was back in Oklahoma City. I went alone. I couldn't wait to go. When I went in, I wore what a seminary student would wear, khakis, loafers, a button-down shirt. I looked pretty normal. And I sat down by myself. Not one person said a word to me until after the service started. And the only person that spoke to me said, you're in my seat. <laughs> I said, really? I'll scoot over. No, no, this is my family's pew. This is where we sit. You need to move. I was stunned. I really thought, this, this isn't happening to me. I left the church after the service, after I'd found a place to sit much further in the back where nobody talked to me. And I saw signs hanging above the doors as people exited the church. And the sign said, you were now entering the mission field. And my first thought was, those signs need to be put on the entrance into the church. <laughs> now, I'm not going to say what church it was. And you don't really need to fish for that. Because I will tell you this, that church did the best rapid visitation I've ever seen. By Sunday afternoon, two people from that church had come to my apartment. And we're poor. We're seminary students. We did not live in a nice apartment. They brought cookies. They weren't intrusive. They simply said, we don't want to come in your house. We just want to give you these and say, we want to welcome you to our church. Their director of assimilation, their pastor of assimilation, called me personally the next day and said, we're glad you came. We hope you had a great experience. Tell me a little bit about it. I said, your rapid visitation was awesome, but you already have lost me. I won't be back. And I didn't go back. I later met the pastor of that church, a very well-known pastor in our denomination at the time. 
I told him the story, and he cringed. I was cocky enough to say, you ought to take the sign and put it on the entrance. But now, as a pastor, I hear those stories too. I've never heard somebody say that they've been asked to move and sit somewhere else. But you hear the stories, the stories of people who didn't feel welcomed or didn't feel loved. And what encourages me is when I hear that, I know it breaks your heart too. You see, we do not have signs hanging above our doors. But you know what we do have? The front of our bulletin, we have the most beautiful statement I've ever seen written about a church. It's at the very top of your bulletin. I'm going to read it to you. This is what it says. To all who are spiritually weary and seek rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who struggle and desire victory, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who are strangers and want fellowship, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to all who will come, this church opens wide her doors and offers welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I first read that in 2003, I loved it. I said, I've never seen a better statement, and I hope it never leaves. But inside those open doors, inside these open doors, when people come in, what will they see? Will they see faith? Faith in God that is so glorious, so grand, so profound, so life-transforming. Will they see faith? Or will they see favoritism? Favoritism. James is addressing the issue in the church, these believers that he's writing to, and it's certainly applicable to now, isn't it? He says, my brothers, show no partiality. The word partiality, do you know what it means? It means to receive one's face. In the Greek, it means to receive one's face. Show no partiality when you receive one's face. And here's why. It means that you're making judgments based on the physical appearance. You're making judgments based on what they look like. It's broad enough to go to skin color, to odor, to appearance, and certainly to clothing, which signifies wealth or poverty. What James is saying is show no partiality. He doesn't say you can show some partiality. He doesn't say you can be partially partial. He's saying show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives the illustration then of the rich man who comes in and the poor man. And he tells the people that they're beginning to show distinctions. And in doing so, James is speaking boldly about how evil this sin is. He says this, when you say, sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand over there, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You know what that means? James is saying that if you treat people that way, you're acting like judges who have been bribed. And they were bribed by people who have money. And you're making your distinction based on those who have versus those who have not. And he calls it evil. 
my friends, favoritism, making distinctions, partiality in whatever form it comes, God hates it. He hates it. He hates it. There is no place for it in the church, not even in small amounts. There is no place for favoritism. Now, I've noticed something. When members of churches talk about these types of subjects and they begin to reference their own church, I rarely find people who talk about themselves. Instead, they talk about the culture of the church and what kind of church they're a part of. I don't want you to do that. I want you to turn inward and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, is there any part of you that shows favoritism? Is there any part of you, is there any part of me that shows partiality, that judges others on the external appearance and would actually say, because that person has wealth and means, I'm inviting them in. I'm inviting them closer. I'm giving them more of my time. My friends, you know what's your, what you're called to. Yet we do it anyway, so often. One of the questions that I wrestled with this week, and I'm gonna leave with you to wrestle with, and it's a very simple question, but I want you to write it down. Why do I, knowing that favoritism is a sin, continue to show favoritism? Why do I, when I know it's a sin to show favoritism, why do I continue to show favoritism? Ask the Lord to reveal to you those areas of your life where that might exist. We're gonna come back to this text in a couple weeks. You're gonna see things, I believe, that will transform the way you treat people. I can't say everything this morning, but I beg you to pray. God, show me any part of my life where there's favoritism. Do I favor people who live in a certain zip code? Do I favor people who go to a certain school? Do I favor people who dress a certain way? We are to show no partiality. That also means we're not to be partial to the poor. We're to show no partiality. The Lord will reveal things to you, I believe he will, that will cause people when they enter through those doors to see that this is a place of deep, deep faith. Here's why. The only reason that you and I would ever show favoritism is because we forget. The only reason we would ever show favoritism is because we forget who we were. We were we were sinners, not sick, but dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We were the ones who sinned, all of us, Romans 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were the ones who were dirty and filthy and poor spiritually. We may have all the wealth in the world, but we're dirty, filthy, sinful people. And what did the Lord do? The Lord of glory sent his one and only son 
to come, to be humbled, to be stripped, to be beaten, that we might be covered in the blood and righteousness of Jesus, not one of us deserving it, not one. We would only show favoritism if we didn't deeply believe in the truth of the gospel. You see the table that I'm standing in front of? If you're a Christian, you're about to come and feast. It's a table for Christians. It's not a table just for Presbyterians. It's a table for any who profess faith in Jesus Christ. But not one of us who receives these elements today come on any merit of our own. We're all the same. Not one of us comes because we're a smarter Christian than another. Not one of us comes because we just gave a larger amount of money to the church than another. None of us come on any merits of our own. We come on the merit of the one who was sent, who faithfully obeyed his Savior Jesus Christ. I mean, the Savior Jesus Christ, who faithfully obeyed the Father. We come because the Holy Spirit illuminated our hearts to see that we were in need. We come because God has shown his favor to us, not because of any good works in us, but simply because he loves us. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And can it be? That's why we sing. We're going to come back to the passage. Because when those doors open, and when these doors open, and people of all types of color and economic background and spiritual need, when they come in, we pray that they see faith. Faith in the one who has saved them, Jesus Christ. Faith in the one who doesn't look at the outside but looks at the inside. Faith in the one who calls us to love those around us and never show favoritism, ever. I pray and trust and believe that that's what people are going to see. But it's only because of this table and what it represents. My friend, if you're in Jesus, you're welcome to this table. If you're in Jesus, you're welcome. You are to come and you are to feast. And you are to know that even now, a favoritism so deep in you, so gross in you, so evil in you, if you're in Jesus, he's died for that. And you can come seeking his forgiveness and even cry out again, no condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him I am found. My dear brother and sister, let's prepare now to come to the table. Our Father in heaven, as we prepare for this meal, we ask that you would bless us in every way. Feed us and make us a people of faith and not favoritism. Teach us, O oh Lord, as we consume these elements that we're yours and that you are perfect for us. This we pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.